Today's episode of the On the Water podcast is brought to you by Old Town Canoe and Kayaks. Old Town has been making the finest canoes and kayaks for over 120 years, right on the banks of the Penobscot River in Maine. Their line of sportsman fishing kayaks has options for every angler, fresh and salt, inshore and offshore, and they come in paddle, pedal, and power versions. I'm a huge fan of saltwater kayak fishing, and I absolutely love my Old Town Sportsman Big Water 132 pedal kayak. It's big enough to take offshore and out into open water, but it's nimble enough for fishing inshore in the backwaters. Plus, it's super stable. I am totally comfortable standing up in my kayak, fly fishing for striped bass. I also use it to bottom fish for black sea bass and to tog. In the fall, I take it out on the water almost every day to chase false albacore. Absolutely my favorite fish to chase from the kayak. So if you're looking to get into kayak fishing or if you're maybe already a kayak fishing addict and you're just looking to upgrade, I highly recommend checking out the Old Town Sportsman line of kayaks. You can take a look online at oldtowncanoe.com slash on the water. Once again, that's oldtowncanoe.com slash on the water. Check them out. Welcome to another episode of the On the Water podcast. I'm Kevin Blinkoff and I've got Jimmy Fee with, here with me today. And on this week's episode of the podcast, we've got Captain BJ Sylvia of Flipping Out Charters of Rhode Island. BJ is a TOG fluke and striper specialist. We filmed a bunch of episodes with him and on the episode today, you're going to see Chris Megan and Jimmy Fee talking with BJ about really all matters of fishing, but kind of a focus on bottom fishing. Is that right? So absolutely. We're going to talk a lot about TOG fishing, a little bit about striper fishing and using your electronics to, to get better at both of those styles of fishing. Uh, BJ is one of those guys who you fish with and you can tell he's having the most fun on the boat. And those are the captains I love fishing with where he takes it seriously. He wants to find fish. He wants to catch fish more than the next guy, but he's still having fun. It, it, at one point he said in the episode, he goes, you know, we're going to laugh. He goes, I can't control the conditions. I can't control what the fish do, but I can control how much fun you're having on the boat. And those are the exact type of guys who you want to fish with. Definitely. So it's a good podcast. Definitely stay tuned for that. And in the meantime, Jimmy, we just got off of winter show season. Um, so that's it's kind of a nice time of year where we're done with the shows and we're moving on now to spring fishing. But it was a lot of fun to get out there, work the shows, talk with people who read On the Water magazine and watch our videos. And also for the first time at the shows, we got to hear from people who listen to the podcast. And just want to say thanks to everybody who gave us feedback. We had a lot of feedback, mostly positive and uh, always good to always good to talk to folks and talk fishing. Yeah, that's the best part about these winter shows is they really do break up the off season. And probably my favorite part about them is is being able to see the tackle firsthand that I'm looking to buy for that coming season. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of the manufacturers, you know, the major manufacturers will be at these shows. The two main ones we went to this year were the Rhode Island Saltwater Anglers Association Saltwater Show and the Saltwater Fishing Show in Edison, New Jersey. And those had Shimano fishing there, Penn fishing, Daiwa. So all the major rod and reel brands are there. A lot of lure manufacturers, both local guys and some of the bigger ones. So it's a chance to really see what's new in fishing. And, uh, you know, like it can be a little bit dangerous for uh, for your wallet if you don't go in there with a. Yeah, definitely of set a budget. It's that time of year when everybody's antsy to get out and start fishing and buy some fishing gear. 
Um, based on the crowds there, a lot of people went this year. But if you've never been to one of these shows, I would definitely check it out next season. Um, quick shout out to the Rhode Island Saltwater Anglers Association. They're, you know, their volunteers put on that show. It's a lot of work for them. A lot of people come through the door, a lot of coordination. They do a great job with that show. Um, and then, like you said, if you're down in New Jersey, Edison, New Jersey, the Saltwater Show, another great one as well. And then, of course, there's also, you know, if you're looking for boats, there's boat shows. Uh, there's a lot of options in the wintertime. If you're looking for those really hard to get striper plugs, there's the fishing flea markets. And, uh, you know, a couple of the fishing clubs put on these shows where you have these really hard to get custom uh, custom plugs that are on sale by the, the lure builders themselves. Those are the ones where you might end up. Uh, if you want to get that lure, you'll line up in front at some guys start at two, three in the morning for a chance to get that lure. Uh I've done it. I haven't done it lately, though, but I, I think I have enough plugs. But I, I, I do get uh, a, a little bit of fear of missing out when I mm -hmm. don't make it to these shows. But that but that season's wrapping up. And I would say, you know, striper season is starting to get going. Um, and we've heard great reports from down south in the Chesapeake. New Jersey striper season is really starting to heat up pretty quickly. Did you get to do any fishing while you were down in New Jersey at that show? I did do some fishing. Um, it was so when I was leaving Edison, well, I, I was literally driving back over the George Washington Bridge. I think I'd just gotten into New York and got a text message that I had my uh, co-pilot, Matt Hefner, our assistant editor, read for me. And it was um, a picture of birds and over bait and fish coming into the Raritan Bay. So we seem to just miss it. It seems like it broke wide open just as the uh, Edison Saltwater show was coming to a close. And it's been pretty good since. Uh, the fishing I did while I was down there, there were some guys catching fish on worms and shads. It seemed to be mainly a daytime bite, which didn't quite work out with the show schedule. So when the show closed on Saturday, I tried to get out there and get some fishing in before it got dark because it had been kind of a daytime bite. And that tends to, you tend to see that in the early spring, the late afternoons when the sun's had a chance to warm the backwaters, it temperature ticks up a couple degrees and those resident fish get active. So that's often the best time to go catch fish in the early spring. We got down there and we saw the police had kind of cordoned off a, a certain area. And uh, I, I walked down there and they said, please, uh, if you don't mind, we've got something going on here. Could you go fish somewhere else? I came to learn I saw a kind of a duffel bag off in the distance that uh, I heard was filled with with bricks and something else. And um, so this was Matt Hefner, our assistant editor. This was his first time fishing in New Jersey. And this is what you introduced him to. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I don't think anybody's ever heard that in a Bruce Springsteen song before. Maybe in some of his uh, deeper tracks. But yes, I love fishing in New Jersey. There's a lot of beautiful places. That just happened to be not the uh, beautiful place that I think I'll ever return to again. Uh, there's plenty of striper spots throughout the Garden State, and uh, I may leave that one alone from now on. And, and on that note, I think we're going to kick it off and get the podcast started with Chris Meegan, Jimmy Fee, and our guest this week, Captain BJ Sylvia. Today's guest, uh, you might have seen him on several episodes of On the Water's Angling Adventures. Well, not just Chris. Chris has been on almost all of them. <laughs> but Captain BJ Sylvia, good friend of ours. Tremendous uh, fisherman for striped bass, fluke tog, ice fisherman. And uh, BJ, thanks for coming up, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So this is your off season right now. But this for you is it's like your season. This is when you do your fishing right now in the winter. Yeah, I just had a guy ask me the other day at the store, are you excited to get back to it? I'm like, no, don't <laughs> rush me back. I mean, I need a couple months here to get my get it all back together. So um, and that's what the ice fishing does. You know, it kind of 
gets me back to level and then start the season off again. And it's go nice crazy. to have that slower season like that. Jimmy and I have gone up and joined you guys on a couple of the shoots up there with Robbie Taylor and the crew. It's just nice. It's it's uh, ice fishing is so different from you know fishing out there when you're getting after it, especially if you find a great spot. Ice fishing is almost like a tailgate out on the water. It's, it's you a blast. know out on the hard water, I should say. But it's such a great time getting out and seeing friends that you really get a chance to talk to as you're waiting for a flag to go up. And it's an adventure. It's like getting to the spot. You'll just see Robbie. will just Robbie will be like, hey, let's uh, look at that spot out there. Let's get to that. I'm like, oh, Robbie, that's across the lake. That's probably you know, and but it always turns into an adventure. So. So I was the, uh, I felt like years ago, I was the young guy and the old timers always said, I kept them young. Now it, that's what kind of Robbie does to me a little bit. He's like, let's go over here. And I'm like, all right. It's a long way. Let's go. You guys all have quads and such. So yeah, I mean, no, it makes do. it a little easier. God yeah. knows I've run on the back of one of those sleds that is, and it, it, across the ice. It is next level ice fishing. What you guys do. You have the, the quads. You have you have a side by side that side you take out on now, the ice. Yeah. New snowmobiles. We all have new snowmobiles this year. And we all have new fish finders with the Mega Live this year. So it's going to be it's going to be fun. It's nope. going to be nowhere for the Lakers to hide. Yeah, uh, Robbie, quick, Robbie. Hey, quick question on that with Robbie, because like Robbie will say, I want to go here, but how much does your electronics actually dictate where you're going to fish? Because you may get to where Robbie wants to fish and there's just nothing there. So, um, I don't know if this is supposed to be an ice fishing podcast, but. No, uh, it's not. And that's but, one uh, thing about all we can, the water. We're all over the map. But we can we can get into it a little bit. It's it's the electronics from from every company it's changed ice fishing yeah. um the rods i mean robbie caught that little tiny i mean that that big lake on that little tiny rod last year i went and took all my big rods put them away and i went and got little tiny light stuff just to have more fun but uh it's totally changed you're not years ago ice fishing was a guessing game you kind of remembered kind of close to where the weed beds were where you put your tip-ups now there's no guessing you go right back to your spots for year after year so you know what, I want to segue that. It. This is Jimmy Zaxon, the host, but I don't get to do many of these. I'm going to segue that because it's a great segue. Electronics. Electronics has changed the way we all fish. Yep. And and um, and how electronics has changed, how we fish for striped bass, how we fish for to talk, how we fish for everything. And and I always say, and, and uh, Jeff Kolosinski is a good friend of both of ours, you know, brand manager over at uh, Hummingbird, Minn Kota. And, and one of the things that I mentioned to Jeff, and this is something actually I learned with you as well, is that with great power comes great responsibility. Segwaying from the ice fishing over to the striped bass, to the tatog and such, you've always done a great job of conservation. Yep. And with great power comes great responsibility. And how has the electronics changed our fishing? And with that great power, how we need to be more responsible as anglers, because you can find that school, you can dial in on them, you can get down on top of these fish and within a foot, either way, I fish with VJ. You can drop it in the uh, roof of a boat that sunk 20 years ago through a one-foot hole and pull out a big to talk. How has that electronics changed, and how do you see it going towards the future? Um, well, when I first started with Hummingbird, uh, Bill Carson would come up and fish with me, and he would try to get me to use side scan. And I would sit there, and I'd go, I was so used to my just my regular 2D sonar. And he's like, dude. You can look 100 feet each side, but you want to look at a 10-foot scope. And this is up in the bay in the mudflats where these fish are going, where they, they can go where, wherever they want. There's no structure holding them. They just go with the bait. And it took me a couple years to finally go, all right, Bill, you were right. Just why? And now I sit there and go, why, why did I ever fight the side scan? I mean, it's the best thing for trying to get bait, seeing stripers. Um, it's actually, it's crazy. Um, 
now you got the um, just your down image and your two D. Just sometimes you just your difference between your two D and your and your down image. And you'll see things that you never. You know, for one thing, well, squid fishing. Sometimes the squid will pick up on one and not the other, so you know it's squid. Um, so there's it, once you start using all these all your stuff to your advantage, once you realize, all right, there's a lot of stuff I can do here, then it changes everything. But a lot of guys, because I, I work a lot of the shows, they're afraid to dive into it, and I understand because I was too. But once you dive into it, and once you use the stuff um, and use it right, it's 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 just deadly and there is i mean where i'm on the fish every day i know where these fish are so it does you have to be um you have to you know you have to let a lot of fish go you have to you have to make sure the stocks stay healthy and i think with social media and all that guys are doing a good job of that because um so I don't know if that answered any of the questions. But oh, no, it did. I, and I want to get back to that for sure. Uh, but first, I just want to get a little bit more of your background. How long, uh, how, how old is flipping out charters? This will be 15 years this year. The only reason I know that is I got to renew my captain's license in a couple months. So it's <laughs> it's every five years. Yeah, so I'm coming up on, uh, this will be my 15th year. So over those 15 years, how have you seen things change? Not necessarily in terms of the fishery. But angler preference. I mean, when, when you first started out, it had to be all striped bass. And I would guess fluke were probably your two most popular species. Yeah, well, just to go way, way back, when I first started charter fishing, I was probably 18 to 20 years old. And I worked on boats. They were bluefish charters. We did bluefish charters in Newport. They, they didn't even try for striped bass. If we got a striper, it was by accident. They would go out to Washington Ledge, chunk it up. And it was bluefish. Uh, every now and then you get a big shark. And... Um, you know, it's incredible how the times have changed. It, it is, you know, so it's it's crazy. Um, now I think we see back in those days, I think there was a lot more bluefish. Now I wasn't always only a deckhand, so I don't know what the captain was seeing and and, do, and what, and that's the way he liked to fish. So, but um, yeah, I'm not sure it, way back in those days. But I think there's a lot. I think there was a lot of bluefish then. Now I think there's a lot of bass now. So, oh, for sure, man. And then it seems like now. I was thought of you as a big striper guy back when I you know, yep. first matched him, first knew you. And now it's like, I think of Rhode Island Tog Fishing. I think of you. I think Synonymous. of Rob Taylor. Like yeah. you two guys for yeah. being the uh, Rhode yeah. Island Tog guys. So I always fished Tog when I was with my grandfather. So that was his favorite thing to do. Um, I was a kid. I couldn't catch him. I take out kids 9, 10, 14-year-olds now at night. I look over, and every time I turn around, they, they, they're catching these fish. And I'm mad because I'm like, <laughs> I couldn't do that when I was their age. But the, a lot of the uh, rods and reels on the line, like back in those days, we had Peterson rods with mono line. And, you know, I wasn't hit, feeling any of the bites. Yeah. yeah, yeah so, yeah, I had a guy on my charter uh, a couple years ago, and uh, he brought this rod out. He was so proud of it. I didn't realize how proud of the of the rod he was and uh i said oh national grid call they want their telephone pole back and all his <laughs> friends started laughing i'm like uh oh what and he, they're like that's his favorite <laughs> that was his down. favorite rod passed down from his grandfather yeah. who died yeah yeah was fi- well he got a 15 oh, pound he got a 15 pound on that rod years ago so he was but i was like try this rod he's like oh wow I said, how much is this riding? I was like, about 300. He goes, oh, jeez, and he puts it back down. And I'm like, <laughs> so that's changed, too. Everything's changed in that part. But Yeah, the, just the popularity of the tog fishing, I think, it, it, with the uh, with that change in the gear, it being more fun, um, seems to have really – I mean, I bet you're, you you got to be pretty close to booked out for next fall, right? Already booked. Yeah, that's incredible. So yeah. if somebody wants to get a tog trip with you, when do they need to call you? <sighs> 
I don't even, I can't even take guys. That's right? the same Two guys. Years ago. Yeah, yeah. It was. It's, I'm, I'm fortunate, and I yeah. and these guys make me look good because all I got to all I got to <laughs> do is put them anywhere near the fish. And these guys, Garrett, you guys had on here, right. and uh, Big Ray. I got all these guys from New York that are just incredible fishermen. So it makes my day sweet just because I just sit there and make fun of them. You know, we just laugh all day. You know, the ebb and flow of the season for the Tongo, it's going to extend the season for you, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, even now, we, we're, starting, we're catching them in, in August. I mean, it's something that we don't really want to do. I don't want to fish for them until I have to because it's, it's, it's a long journey from pretty much October 1st to December 1st for me. And, the, geez, they, they were still catching them up till a couple of weeks ago out of block, so which I'd never even heard of that years ago. So, BJ, map out your season, what that looks like from when you start, beginning of the year, what you're targeting, where you go to, how those changes. Obviously, you're into the stripers right now. As you mentioned, bluefish have pushed off a little bit right now. But map out what your season looks like. So I start off in the end of April. If we have a mild winter like this one, usually I can get those fish to hit the last week of April. You can catch them before that, but you can't, I can't get any numbers. And I can't get guys to come from New York, New Jersey to, to catch one or two fish. So usually by the last week of April, I can get numbers. And usually that first week of May, second week of May, really good black fishing. Um, it's three fish a person. Um, one, my guys never take females. Um, I, I hear a lot of people talk about how they would like to shut it down in the spring. I'd never want to see that. Make it an 18-inch fish. I don't care. But let us fish for them. Um, you know, just let us fish for them. You know, I don't maintain care. We, the access. To I don't the even we let them go. I don't care. But you know, it's um, and I can do. I can see where there are guys taking females. They're easy to see that time of year. Their their bellies are. Um, nobody's telling you you have to take that fish. Or in another thing, if it's an eighteen inch fish. If they moved it up to a 17 and 18, by the time, if you even took an 18 inch pregnant fish in the springtime, that fish spawned for years and years and years. So you can't feel too bad about doing it. I'm sure the eggs are healthier in, in bigger fish, but um, I just don't ever want to see them close anything down anymore. Just make it catch and release or make it or whatever, but let us fish for them. Yeah. You know. So after your spring tog season uh, ends, so you said about mid-May, it's still really good. Do you Mid switch over to bass? Uh, I do. I switch over to bass. But the problem is now it's like I, I chase these. So you got to chase these fish in the Newport. You can start off, catch them out by Block Island end of April. And you'll those fish every week will move further and further up. And then they come right into Newport. And then they come right up the bay. And then they go way up. Or they go in the shallow places and spawn. This is the so, tog. The tog. Yep. So it's you can keep going but it gets harder and harder and harder when they come in in the springtime they're all gathered up so you can find them like off castle hill they they're, they're gathered you can have epic days you can and they, then i know how to track them right up into the bay so and there's a lot of spots a lot of hiding spots for them and um geez i've been doing this for we're saying 15 years this year i found more spots this year than i've ever found in my life and it's, it's how much of that comes back to the electronics we talked about all right? electronics yeah no nope. And so you move on to the striped bass. Give me the striped bass season for you. So striped bass probably, um, probably the third week of May, second, third week of May, you'll start to get them. Um, last year I'm pulling out of my marina, and they're just schools of right massive fish, and they're, they're little small fish on top, and there's turns everywhere. And I look out, and I see all these boats out there casting little top waters into these fish. And I look down at the fish finder 40 feet away, I look at the bottom, I'm like, those aren't small fish. Drop flutter spoons down, boom, and just start. And there were massive fish. It was early in the year. 
all big fish, all 30 plus pound fish, just right outside my marina, sitting under the schools. So once again, did we, electronics. Did we get that call? Did we, did we get that call? <laughs> that happened twice to me, right outside. Everybody's like, you're the best captain. I'm like, this is luck. I mean, right outside the <laughs> marina, we could almost cast these things on the dock. But um, but right, right, right there. And, and those are big fish. I mean, there was some big fish that show up early yeah. that – I don't know where these fish in the springtime in the May, when the, where these fish are coming from, what they're doing, I have no clue. But the, the May fisheries, incredible. And it's big fish. And back when we used to be able to keep them, a lot of those fish never spawned. Yeah. So they had all the eggs. That in makes them. sense. So what were we down there with Robbie? We, we filmed with Robbie last year. That was year. like June 4th. Well, yeah, I was yeah. going to say early June then. Yeah. But yeah, they. Uh, Usually that's, that's the time of year, even that June. Right around that time, we could start, almost start making the switch out front. And there's fish out there too. So yeah. there'll be. Yeah. But you can do both. Where you're situated is such a, I, I mean, you have kind of the best of both worlds. You've got a great bay fishery, and then you have a tremendous ocean fishery and access to Block Island. Right. But having that, you know, being at the mouth of uh, Narragansett Bay there, I mean, there's just so much, there's fish, so much bait in there. It's like a bait factory. Right. The tog move in there to spawn. I think that's what makes that area so, such a rich tog habitat. The most bait I've ever seen in my life the last couple of years. It's most somewhere bait. between that you have to wedge in fluke. When does fluke come in? I know the fluke to your puke is a big tournament for you guys. Um, the fluke for me, <laughs> talk about luck. I mean, two years ago we got a 15. I think I fluked twice that year. And last year we got a 13.5. I might have fluked. So you're not really targeting the fluke that no, way? No, it's, it's more like they're mixing. No, sometimes, Robbie, when you do two or three boat charters, yeah. we run out to a couple spots and we're more sea bass and fluke and combo, you know, and it's and they're they're mixed right together. You know, they're right in there. The big fluke, uh the big fluke we got this year, 13.5, and we were trying to we we're That's trying awesome. to catch sea bass. So now fluke used to be a bigger part of your season though, right? I mean you, yeah. you make the, the flipping out fluke rigs are very popular yeah, rigs. So there. I commercial fished them years ago along. That's when I used to fish them a lot. Um Believe it or not, fluking was one of those things I thought, oh, this is a great thing to bring tourists to do and put the rods in the water and just drift. And then I, you know, the good fluke fisherman, I can take tourists to a spot and be like, there's nothing there. I can take good fishermen in that same spot and actually kill it. So it's, it, you do have to be a very good fluke and blackfish. You got to be top notch. And to get numbers and stuff, anybody can catch a big fish or, you know, or a couple of fish here and there. Sometimes you can just, you know, Rodney, Rodney the rod holder, just drag, dragging baits. But a really good fluke fisherman, I mean, Newport has some great fishing. Because the last time we were, I fished with him for fluke, he's like, there's nothing here, Chris. We're moving on. I think that was uh, me now. I think I was the uh, He's like, just leave it in the rod just holder. Leave it, just leave it in the rod holder. It is. It's, it's hard. It's, I mean, you got to be good. It's, no. it's, um, and I don't, and I, we had a couple weeks last year where the fluking were off the hook, so it was really good. But I had other things booked. But um, it's weird. It's it's something. I've been doing this long enough where I can tell you whatever happened this year is not going to happen yeah. next year. Yeah, that's the only thing I've ever learned in fishing is uh, you can go back to all the same spots you did last year, and even even up in the bay where you guys were robbing. That'll all change this year. They'll be somewhere, but they probably won't be right there. You know, so. Now, those two big fluke you mentioned, I know the 15-pounder was caught on a flipping out fluke rig. Yep. It was the 13 and a half, too? No, it was on a poison tail. Uh, okay. Dominic's backwater poison tail. Yep. Th those With are... Uh, six-inch, five-inch or six-inch uh, grub. Uh, okay. Yeah, a big bait. Yep. For them. And that's, I mean, that's the other thing about your fluke rigs. It's kind of a three-way rig. Yep. You've got a squid and... Do you have a spinner on there, too? Yep. Yep, yep. And just a uh, kind of a standard three-way, put How a big strip on there. How long did you start making those? I'm just curious. Uh, I think it was... 
It's about 16 years, yeah. 16, 17 years. I think it was the Reese show, one of the first Reese shows yeah. that you ended up giving me some of yeah. those. I still have them. That was long, yeah. Yeah. And the, uh, so the striper season will take you right through tog season pretty much? Yeah. Uh, so right through August? Yeah, um, right through. So striper's probably last year, last two years, second, third week of September. Really good striper fishing. All that first week, second week. Um, but they're going by. So, I mean, they're going by quick. So it once, you know, once last week of September, I got some blackfish trips booked. So how about the funny fish? I, do you find yourself sometimes there's so many in there between the Benito or the Albies or whatever might show up that year so, that you just drop everything and just you have to chase them? So this year, so I always keep a rod rigged up, one or two. Yeah. And um just, you know, let the guys blackfish. And the funny thing is the, guy, the blackfish guys, they do not want to chase anything else. Right. <laughs> but they will throw at an Albie. Some of the guys. Allowed, they, yeah, and by, usually, usually they come to us. So it's yeah. instead of chasing them. But um, I didn't, you know, I didn't see a lot this year. I, we only got, I only caught a couple. Um, but every year is different. You know, I didn't, didn't know how they saw any Bonita. I don't know if they just went by us or, or what, but. It wasn't a great Bonito year here. Like we, we yeah. have them. Uh, man maybe five years ago now they all came up into buzzards bay great fishing on this side usually that you have them on the back side of the vineyard but uh even this year that was kind of sparse so. yeah they in the late fall they they were gathered up um off of like middletown but and there was um you know, a lot under those schools a lot of those schools too are a lot of squatigue now that people don't realize are there so when you you know same thing when you're looking at your fish finder yeah. you're, you're it's chasing blue fish and stripers on the surface you look down and you're like seeing all those big blips on the bottom, you know, because they had massive swim bladders, so they really pick up there's some nice, sometimes you just take the epoxies and just start jigging, right vertical now. jigging them. Yeah. Really? Yeah, there's a lot of some nice critique. Oh. Yeah. But you I can't, you never can plan it, though. It's something yeah, that yeah, just, yeah. they just pop up, and if you're there, you're there, you know. I know we're going to circle back around, Jimmy, to the uh, to the to the blackfish. But one of the things that uh, you know, and you were one of the guys that I fished with that I really started, I mean, we, we were kind of doing it up this way, but you're one of the leaders in it, I, I say. The uh, conservation of the tog. You know, whenever we film together, we probably film four times together. I think we've done a couple of tog shoots, letting go of the females, and then and then that that um, range of what you're keeping and what you're not keeping, as far as too small, too big, whatever that is. Talk a little bit more about that because I think it's so important. You touched on it briefly about letting go of the females. Um, a little bit more about how you think that fishery is right now, that where that stock is and where it could be based on if everyone took your philosophy? Uh, most people are. So I got to say all the charter boat captains that are fishing down our way, even the out-of-state boats, everybody's being pretty good. But do um, you see that transfer over to the recreational guys that have come out with you now and now they have their own yeah, boat? Yeah, a lot of recreational guys are doing it too. I'm seeing their post and they're letting yeah. they're letting fish. A lot of my clients have their own boats still. Yeah. You know, it's sometimes that time of year they take their boats out. But um, I'm seeing a lot of guys, because of social media, nobody wants to be the one killing a big fish on social media. They're going to get called out for it. Um, but as far, like I said, I, I'm kind of in one of those boats where some of the younger charter boat captains, I've actually spoke to a couple. I'm like, you don't remember when it was gone. So, you know, I had to talk with a couple guys. I'm like, you know, you got to be a little bit better. You know, you don't have to be. The laws state that, but try to, you know, you, you talk your customers into letting a big fish go. You know, I, I, you just know there's some guys you don't even tie. I don't even try. You know that fish is going home with him for dinner because that's what he wants. He wants a big, 
And there's other guys, I'm like, I'm like, hey, that's kind of a nice one to let go. It's, you know, it's an eight, nine pounder. It's going to be a double digit in a couple years. And all you got to do is tell them that and they, they release them. Um, so, but I had these two guys, when I first started fishing, first started charter fishing about 15 years ago, there's a friend of mine called Coast Guard Joe. And he was in the Coast Guard and his, and his father and his cousin were from New Jersey. And they would come up, those are the first two really good black fishermen that I've ever taken out on, on charters. And these guys would come up to see their son at the I Coast Guard we Castle. before. No, let's go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but, and they would talk to me about Maryland. They would talk to me about Maryland and that kind of stuff. And I thought to myself, I'm like, geez, we're never going to have that kind of fishery up here unless we really let some big fish go. And I commercial blackfish years ago. And I never got, I, I won't, my biggest is 13 pounds. And back in, way back in the day, if you caught a 10 pounder, one 10 pounder throughout the course of the whole year, and I fished a lot because I was commercial fishing and they just weren't there. They weren't, they were still growing, still growing. Now I, a 10 pounder and, and not, it's, it, it is almost an everyday fish. And if it's oh. not 10, it's a 9.5. It's, or a, a nine pound. So, um, which is, just you can just even on a on a bad day somebody usually gets a nice fish. So we have something super special in Rhode Island. Um, I think you know I want I was talking I want to talk to some people about making it a fishery that um, almost a trophy fishery where people aren't coming from New York and New Jersey. My all my my customers are all from New York, New Jersey. They're not coming to Rhode Island because the fishing stinks. But you know what I mean? And and our our worst day of fishing is better than what they were going to do down there on some of those trips that time of year. So we have something super special. I don't think we can wreck it because what I'm told is the fish start spawning at uh, 15, 14 inches. All right, 12. They start spawning at 12. 12 to 16 is quite a few years. They're smaller fish. I don't think those eggs are as good as probably a bigger fish. So, um, But it's in the right step. I think what we really got to do to protect the fishery, Massachusetts, Connecticut, I think Massachusetts, Connecticut can benefit huge from this too. Go up one inch or to two inches, 17, 18 inch fish. And I think the water in a couple years time would be paved, paved. And that would give, there's such slow going. You got to think in 17 inch fish is probably would spawn probably maybe eight years Hmm. Yeah, and I'm not a biologist, so I don't know. But and the other thing about letting the females go, I have, I've asked biologists: Are we screwing up by letting too many females go, and not, you know, and we'll having that many males? males? Yeah. So I, I don't really have the answer for that one yet. So I, that's something we got to keep in mind that making sure we don't have an abundance of, of, of yeah, you know, and not males to. But I think I think it's good. I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I have to think that the. I mean, you've seen this uh, Rhode Island state record was just broken a couple years ago. And, you know, every year you're hearing about 19, 20 pounders, whereas just 10 years ago, that that didn't happen. You didn't hear about 20 pound fish in New England. And now you're starting to hear more and more about it. I found this spot at the end of the year and I found it was something I have to I have to get. I had to. I had, I had weather. Wind was coming. I had to hide behind these rocks and I found this spot for like a two week period and the fish were just gigantic. And we're breaking them off. We're just breaking, we're breaking them off. I probably went through a two week period of time. I probably broke off 12 fish that I wanted to see. When Garrett caught that nice fish with me this year, that was like the last day I fished that spot and Garrett got that fish. I was like, thank God. Cause I knew these fish were all monster. We had a fish. Was that, that based on gear? Was that based on just the structure that's down there that these fish were going in there or just, just the pure size of them? It, it's pure size. It's 
gear, yeah. locking down drags. Yeah. For some reason, guys want to lock down the drags on the spinning reels. The fish has to take, that depends. If you're fishing a shipwreck or something where I'd rather trust the terminal tackle, but I, I really think that all my guys, you know, I get phone, I get probably a couple text messages. Happy New Year, Cap. Next year I'm bringing bigger gear. Happy New Year, Cap. <laughs> Next year I'm bringing bigger gear. So they all, you know, so we we all kind of went lighter over the last couple of years to have a little bit more fun. But as we're going lighter, the fish are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we lost a fish to a day or two before Garrett got his big fish. And the the fight of this fish up down up down swam out up down and I one oh. I, I thought maybe it was a big striper at one point but then it came back and did the up down thing and then it just broke his off right above the hook and some of it's I mean some of it's um, anglers yeah. Yeah. I mean it you you mess you get, up. A, you get a 17 18 19 pound black fish on there I, it's anyone's guess as to whether or not you're gonna get that fish out yeah it it, it it could be luck sometimes too but a very good angler can I mean watching Garrett fight the fish he yeah. caught this year was the keys of he's an unbelievable fisherman so and that was an 18 pounder right it's just shy of 18 yeah oh. yeah and the biggest one on your boat is 19 yeah 19 that was something. the one charlie swords he didn't catch it but he was on the La- boat yeah larry him. larry really got it yep uh i do have some other since we're talking about tog i've got some kind of tog tip type questions okay. i'm still looking for a 10 pound tog. Yep. i've never caught one i'm on a boat i'm on your boat what's going to help me Let's say get an edge. I, I think of tog as very competitive fishing because there's only a few fish down there. They're in one place, and I, you know, I'm competing with Chris. I'm competing with you. Yeah. What's going to help give me an edge to get that ten pounder? Exactly why I don't fish anymore on my boat. I've done it too many times. I pulled the yeah. biggest fish of the day out, not just by luck, and I always felt somebody else in the boat would have caught that fish yeah. if I didn't put the rod down. So I'd try not to fish anymore unless they unless they twist my arm. Yeah. And I'll do Jimmy it. doesn't have that problem. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I would catch everyone. On my boat. Yeah, no, when absolutely. I fish you in my I'm like, Jimmy, let's set, let's go ahead and set the uh, Minn Kota trolling motor. Let's set up in here. I'm like, what, Jimmy? He's already got a ro- line in the water set up. Back to the helm, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if you watch, if you watch the really good fishermen on my boat, um, you will see what a lot of guys do, especially everybody wants to do the jig bite thing. Like uh, Garrett's fish came off a jig. It's, that's the biggest fish I've seen on a jig so far. Not everybody can set on the right bite so i see people swinging a lot with jigs and just they're swinging on short bites or little bites um instead of waiting waiting for that right bite and if you watch the really good the really good black fishermen i've taken out all the over the bunch of years they wait for the right bite there's a guy victor from fisherman's depot he victor be sleeping and boom and just he'd have a half of you know white crab on there a big bait and he'd be just just like this, and then boom, he'd set the hook. And how then, is he not getting like, picked? He, how is he not getting his, his just his he'll, pocket He'll picked? get picked, but he just they just know the right bite, yeah. you know. And if they get picked, and they come up, and they that's when the weight's being picked up and swam away. With yeah, it. sometimes the bite is too good. Like I think I mentioned that in one of the days we went out, it was a west wind. Sometimes he just chews so they're yeah. just chewing so much that it gets frustrating after a while. But you really let that jig. Sometimes you just lift up, and that big one's just on it, on the, especially on the jig. All the jig starts to swim away. That's that's when you know. But setting on small bites every time is just not a way to get it done. So if you're if okay, so for instance, if I'm feeling all these bites, I'm swinging more often. I'm reducing my chances of giving that big one a shot to come and, and muscle the other ones out of the I way. I think so. Okay. 
And along that same line, do you find that like when you first get there, smaller fish and that you kind of build a little bit of slick down there and you get a little bit more stink in the water that the bigger fish are hanging on the outside. They didn't get to be big fish because they're dumb. Right. And they just kind of start moving in as Jimmy pointed out. Do you find that those bigger fish usually come later in the bite or yeah. later in that? Absolutely. You could sometimes get one very rarely. Want to happen once this year. The pool fish was the first. Drop down. Yeah, and that happened once out of. Yeah. I don't even know if I ever remember that actually, but it did happen this year for once. But so uh, along the lines of what Chris just said, how long will you give a spot before you move? How do you know when it's time to move or not? It depends on the bottom. Okay. So if I have endless bottom of boulder boulders, I'll give that spot a lot longer because you're pulling fish in. Mm-hmm. Now if it's somewhere like a shipwreck or a shipwreck, what's on it is what is what's on it. It, then it, it, it kind of, it's more tide. Um, what part of the tide they like to be on the shipwreck, which I kind of, I don't like a lot of running water around the, on the shipwrecks. Okay. I like them. I like fishing that slack hour before, hour after. Once it starts going too much, but regular, like I. Now, is that because you're afraid of hanging up or you think the fish up, just you, moved off? No, they hang up, but it just seems like the small fish will hit and the big fish. Now, this Quite might, down. it might be different down New Jersey or whatever, yeah. or. But around here, it just, we've got a lot of water that comes in and out of the bay. Yeah. Um, it, and it can really sweep you. So it just, you'll just see the bites will just get smaller and smaller. Matter of fact, the day Larry, when I was with Larry and Charlie Swords, we got that big fish. We got to that spot and I got there late. I got there and it was boom, 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 breaking up, boom, boom, boom. And then after Larry caught that fish, I think it was maybe 10 minutes after we couldn't get another hit in that spot. So we just hit it. Yeah. We had very tail. We broke off, I think, yeah. four fish, four or five fish that day. Wow. But. Uh, going back to jigs real quick, I talked with you uh, about this with you when we were out fishing, um, I think it was a couple years ago, jig color. And one thing you turned me on to was glow-in-the-dark jigs, yep. which I, to me, I don't ever think of glow-in-the-dark beyond ice fishing. Right. But you said it could have an advantage with the tog. So that's a question I get asked a lot. My my personal opinion, and it's just my personal opinion, um, 90% of the time, 95% of the time, probably color doesn't matter, I would think. And I just see those days where it does. And especially with like a glow, a yellow, um, you know, just some, there, there are those days yeah. that it, I think it does matter. Um, so, so the bright color is more likely to be a different changer than say like a natural. Yeah, white and that's a huge pot of tog, tog fishing is, is clarity of the water. Um, that has a big, big, you know, a lot of times people go out and, oh, it wasn't good today. Well, it wasn't good because the water was, Thirty, and then I see a lot of people. Geez, the bite was horrible today. I only got fish for an hour, hour or two, and I was like, you know, I'm like, it was a full moon. You got it. They hit better on this away from the ripping tide, especially in certain spots. When I when there's a full moon around Newport, I get away from it. I try to get away from tide. So that's one thing I try to do, especially bass fishing too. Same thing. I want to get away from that running water. A lot of, there's a hundred and, I don't know how much, 160, 170 feet of water outside of Castle Hill. That's all got to rip out. It's all got to go around Brenton Reef. And that's a lot of water and on a tide that's, on, especially on a moon Sorry, tide. So I, one thing I try to do is I try to get away from that. Just go to spots that go further down east where the tide is not ripping as much. Same with the bass. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll go back to some of those spots as the tide slows up. So more impo- conditions being more important than yeah. the color then. Yeah. How about weights and sizes in, in like your go-to jigs? Like where's a sweet spot for you on, on, the, on the weights? It depends how deep we're fishing. Assuming but, you're not fishing those ripping tides, right, where you would need a, a little bit more weight. I mean, some days I'm out in 100 feet of water. We get away with six ounces. Yeah. 
And then some days I'm in 50 feet of water. We need 10 ounces, you know, so it really, it really is where you're at. And, and, you know, and you got to keep an eye on, on, you know, you got to, and you're not ripping current too. Your baits get washed out a lot faster. So it's it's another thing to keep in mind. So if you can try to get away from it and try to, you know, there's certain spots. I love the fish that I can't go to on a full moon. I just, so conditions, ideally, I mean, it, it, that dictates for me what I'm doing that day. I got spots in the east. I got spots in the west. Uh, north and south are really hard to hide behind islands because the because of the bay comes up and down. But east and west, you can usually find hiding spots. So if it's going to blow 30 out of the east, I got spots I can go. If it blows 30 out of the west, I got spots I can go. When it blows north and south, yeah. not a lot of places to hide. North, you can hide a little bit, but um, south, south is tough. Is tough yeah. Uh, the training. So Garrett, uh, I fished with him this past fall. Uh, the training wheel, he called it, was a kind of a, a hook. He yeah. attached the eye of his jig on a short leash, four or five inches. Do you see that used a lot? Do you recommend using that? I got that? it banned from my boat. Oh, okay. No, it's not, but I, I'm trying to ban it. Um, <laughs> Advised against. <laughs> it just, oh, it's a nightmare. In the net, guys flip it, it fish hooks off. Now you got two hooks flying around it. Um, I tell everybody, it's Rhode Island. You don't need it until you need it. So I'm, I'm all for it if you need it. Right. If the conditions are really tough. Um, but I got, I got guys that use it and they're very good at it. So I don't know. Um, by the same token, do you prefer one hook? If you're fishing a rig over a jig, do you like the one hook there or two hooks? Okay. There? I, like, I like one hook on a rig unless I'm using a big bait and put two on either side. But, um, I could just do a simple, simple rig with one hook and, you know, you, we're going through tons of bait nowadays compared to what we did years ago. Uh, so much scup and sea bass around that yeah. it just, it's, it's picking. So a lot of times you just put that other crab on, it just, as soon as you set the hook, it's gone. When you say crabs, I know that, that like whenever I'm on a boat, you know, certain people love certain different color crabs. How, what color crabs do you like of your ears, one in particular, and then, and then how are you prepping that crab? I am so old school with this. I reach in and grab a crab and I cut it in half and I don't even cut the legs so off. So it doesn't have to be orange. It doesn't have to be white. I, I tell everybody, I'm like, we're Rhode Island. <laughs> um, it's true, though. I, I've been on the boats and I fall into this trap where you, you take your crab and you're like, I, I don't I don't take this good you care prep, of my kids' you, meals. You, like, I, I was going to say, I'm, you go overboard as far as preparation. He's from Jersey. <laughs> Listen, it's it's all, hard all down my, there. Just, I'll explain it this way. And I explain it this way to a lot of people. I'm like... A guy on the on the starboard side of the boat catches a fish on a green crab, on a on a on a rig. Yeah. Okay, got it on a rig, green crab. Everybody puts on a rig and a green crab. Then one guy changes up, puts a jig on, puts an Asian crab on. Hey, I uh, I got one on a jig, an Asian crab. Everybody switches, goes to it. And then one guy on the side of the boat goes back to a, a rig with a white crab. Hey, right here. Then, then there's six guys on this side of the boat. My boat's not big enough for six guys to be on. And they're all fishing right here with them. And I'm like, if all you guys just used what you started the day yeah, with, right. you spent more time. One guy would pick through the bucket just to get orange ones, uh, orange crabs. I've uh, done that. Yeah. And they'll Jimmy's pick done that. I, I, see, I thought the orange crabs were bad crabs. I always went for the green ones. I always took the orange crabs. I loved them. I've seen them. I've seen a big one caught on green, on orange, on white, on spiders. <laughs> uh, so it's... You know, it's 
to me, I think it's, part of it is like when you feel like your confidence level is such that you're like, I take through when I get an orange. Jimmy would always give me the orange. And I feel like for whatever reason, yeah. I would have the orange and I'm like locked in. But the reality of it is I'm probably fishing more intense. I'm, I'm waiting on that bike because I'm like, oh, I got an orange. This is going to happen. And right. I'm just dialed in a little bit tighter. When you're I'm over your shoulder in. and you're moving the you ring around, yeah. stuff, I imagine. If I was fishing just for myself, I would pick through my crab pots and I'd find big greens like this. If I couldn't get whites and I would fish those big greens and have just as much confidence in those. So you're but not tearing off all the legs. You're not cutting them in I half. I want a big not. bait. I want a big profile. I want, um, you know, there's green crab. There's legs in my boat that I'll never get out of that boat. There's from, <laughs> it's, they'll, they'll be in there for till the day that boat's done. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think that's any Tatog fish, man. Before you sell it, you just have to, you have to burn it to the water line because crab yeah. legs get everywhere. And you just oh, they're in the gunnels. There's crabs. Yeah. You put the rod in, you hit crunch. You know, like and, and somebody puts a crab pot over the uh, electrical line of your boat and it saws right through it. Or? No, I'm not. Yeah, <laughs> and it's, a, it's an argument between Jimmy and uh, Cheech. So we get a massive pile of crabs, put them in, in a uh, in a crab net there, a crab pot hanging off my dock. Bring the regulator in. We're like, we're gonna hit it again, probably this weekend. These guys have what looks like some between razor wire and a spider line. And they, and, and I have, so I would do one loop around my dock from, from my power cord. These guys on top of the power cord, they do a monkey's paw on top of uh. the thing. And with the weight and the ebb and flow of this thing, it just slices through the line. So I go down like a week later, it's like, power's dead. <laughs> my tail is just swinging in the water. And to this day, you can't prove who did it, whether it was Jimmy or Cheech. I'm pretty sure it was him. Yeah. Yeah. And when Cheech, when Jimmy's got Cheech comes over, goes, I would never have done that. That's absolutely <laughs> Jimmy. He's not a boat fishman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So are the uh, the white laggers, I know green crabs are, are relatively easy to get. See, have you always been using the white laggers? That seems like a relatively recent development in New England. I mean, no, in Jersey, it's been forever. And but. that's my one, that's my one comment back. We never fished them years ago. Um, there was one guy that would uh, fish. I was in the, the um, Newport County Club, and this one guy I wanted to beat him every year in the tournament. And what? Oh, what the heck was his name? Um, I think of it, but um, he would fish Jonas, and he fished Jonas with a big with a that. That's what you used. Guys fish Jonas, not whites back in the day. Now they fish whites, and every year he would catch the biggest you know tog in the tournament. And I finally fished a Jonah one year, and I, I, I beat him. And I, I didn't weigh the fishing for the club. It was late in the year, and nobody to, as I just let it go. But um, So that's – there is a difference, though. They, they can be advantageous. Absolutely. Is it more the size of them, just that they're bigger than the green crabs, or, or do you think there's more to it? I think the whiteness sticks out down deep. I think um, they say they taste different. Who the heck knows with that? I mean, they're bigger baits. I like the bigger ones. Some guys like the little ones. I mean, so it's all preference. Um, but it's um, – I do like a big white crab. It's the right time of the year. Um, but – Now, we've talked a ton about the togging. If there's one fish you go out there and you want to fish for, whether it's for the dinner table, which you don't take a lot of fish that way. But if there's if there's one fish you want to get out there, is it the toga? What is it? Um – yeah, I just to talk. I mean, it's a Rhode Island. I mean, I told a lot of people talk to me like, "Geez, I, I can't find Tatog in the in the fish market. They don't have it." So it's, you got to go catch it pretty much around here if you want to eat it. And a lot of people do like the, it, it. It's horrible. Like all these great fish that are 
we want to protect and stuff. We're all great eating. I mean, Tog is good eating. Yeah, it, it, great. And and you don't ever want to fault anybody for you know taking their limit. You don't ever want to get mad at anybody. You know, they oh they took a female. Well, you know what? Fishing's bad. That I mean, we've had days where. You know, even even we kept to the end, like, oh, we only need three fish left. Let's make it three males, you know, because the day is almost over. Mm -hmm. But I used to have trips last, like, a couple years ago where I'd be like, the guys would be throwing all the females back, and then it's the end of the day, and I cap with five short. I'm like, we just do, you know, and I'm like, so it makes my day longer by, you know, throwing all those females back too. But um, like, like I said, I think the rules where they're at now – they start spawning at 12. You can't keep them to 16. I don't think we'll ever wreck our fishery, even though it's the most pressure I've ever seen on these fish in Newport. I don't think we'll ever wreck it, but I think there are a couple things we can do to make sure we'll never wreck it. Mm-hmm. And then whoever fishes it, fishes it. You know what I mean? It's it's it's, And I think that with a lot of things right now. I mean, I really think it's the most tog I've ever seen. It's probably the most stripers I've ever seen. Now, I am friends with a lot of surf guys. I know where they surf fish. I'm catching monster fish right if they could cast two or three distances from where they're at. They're not far from them. They're just not. Just they're made, in that hanging just in that made 20. a lot of friends with the surf crowd right there, BJ. <laughs> well, I mean, they, but they, it was, it's true, though. It's true, though. No, but if right. they don't see what I'm seeing on my fish finder and they're not seeing what I'm catching. Uh, but they're right. I'm not. I just, yeah. I'm a surf guy, too. I've, I fished all those surf spots. Those fish just aren't going into that 10, 12 foot of water all the time anymore. And whatever the reason, it's not there's a shortage because they're there. They're stacked up on those humps and they're piled up. Maybe seven, eight years ago, if I went to 10 spots off of Newport, I caught fish maybe on two or three. Now, if I go to 10 spots, I catch fish. This I see fish. Maybe not catch. I see fish on all 10 of those spots, and I'll find them in three or four of the spots by accident that day, just traveling in deep water, just in the middle of nowhere. So, you yeah. know, it's it's, huh. it's one of those things. It's Something you touched on as far as social media. I think the learning curve for, for young anglers now that are out there on a boat, had a boat two years, three years, I think the learning curve has been shortened so much because of social media because that person that is new to sport new to out there on the boat they're going to see right away that folks like you are letting these fish going and i think that the learning curve compared to when i started going back 30 something years ago you know back then you'd catch that fish you'd pound your chest hold it up bring it back to the dock because there was no proof otherwise right Right, you didn't have a cell phone in your back pocket and it was kind of like but that the, the more experience you get you know, the the more you want to let these fish go, because the economic impact of these fish is so much greater right. for the anglers coming versus catching it and bringing it home and putting it on the dinner table that way. But I do see that the social media and all of that has really kind of shortened that learning. I, I do love the slot limit for stripers. I wish it was 32 to 40 inch. I don't like that 28. I don't like killing that 28 inch, 29 inch fish. I, w- I would like to see that fish spawn a couple times, and they still get the fish on the on the back end spawning. But I'd like to see it that. Um, but I the think age it's old doing argument a- there is though that 38 inch fish is going to have a hell of a lot more eggs. That is than the, that than that 28. Yeah. So if somebody takes that 28, and it's probably the same with the tog or 29 for the yeah. dinner table. You know, it's probably the fillets that they're going to take off of that is going to suffice for the family right. versus that 38, 40-inch fish yeah. that's going to just give you so many more eggs. So, you know, you can make that arguments a, both yeah. way, but I, you, just like you said, it's the same for the Tatar. Yeah, I think I think they're definitely going to be healthier eggs on the bigger fish. But um, I, I think it's definitely working. 
Um, I have to. I have to air a couple of these fish every now and then. And I don't know if there's enough talk about yeah. releasing them, keeping them healthy. Everybody says you hold them up by a boga, you're going to kill them. These fish are not made out of paper mache, like people think. So I, when people get on somebody for holding them up like that, I'm like, we don't do it because, because of that. But you really can't get a weight on a fish if you don't hang it. But the one thing I see, the most thing is them getting air in their stomach. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you I pull up a scale, I have a little thin, tiny, thin knife. Pick up a scale, went, and I just turn it a little, poke it in, real light, turn it. All the air comes out, and that fish swims right away. Now, I this year, I'm going to try to tag those fish that I have to release with it. And I did it with blackfish this year, too, and they took off. Um, those are the fish I would like to tag to find out. But I'm watching these fish. Do they go down below and die? I don't know. Uh, they seem like they swim well. Just seems like the air that's in their bellies that, is the problem. That's become such a big issue if in like the Gulf in the Southeast with red snapper, yeah. because yeah. The, um, the you know at some point they they factor the fishing mortality into the uh, into the regulations right. and. They, for for years, uh, the Recreational Fishing Alliance was was all all up in arms about the red snapper because their season kept getting uh, shorter and shorter and shorter. Yeah. And um, so they have where they, they will have to vent these fish where they take a tool, special tool, put it into the swim bladder to yep. release those gases so the fish can get back down. Um, and, and you're right. People don't talk about that a lot with striped bass. Yeah, and that's one thing. I don't see a lot off of Newport, these fish dying. We don't have the currents and stuff as they do at, like, Southwest Ledge. So Southwest Ledge, with that, that ripping tide, they even have to work harder to get down. So any year, and then those fish aren't getting down. So it's one of those things where um, this just has to be talked about. Release tools have to be talked about a little bit more because uh, we are letting these fish go, so they make it. You know what I mean? Um the slot limit I like, the slot limit I don't like that commercial guys, I'm a commercial guy too. I don't like the fact that they can still keep the massive fish. I wanna see like in Rhode Island, for example, um, and this is probably gonna piss some guys off, but um, in Rhode Island you're allowed five fish. Let's make it 10 fish and give them a slot fish just like everybody else. The, the you, know, you gotta protect the 30s, 40s and whatever. And I don't think we really need to protect 50 inch fish or 55 inch fish uh, because I don't know what so few of them. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. but I do I would like to see I would like to see a high number on the slot so the, the record could be beat again someday you know what I mean so if you had a 50 let's say for let's make it well how big was Myerson's fish length 81 so it was that's it right there behind you um, so make it make the slot right to there like a little bit <laughs> You know, just so somebody has a chance. Yeah. You know, you're fishing. Everybody's dream is to beat the world record. So, we, but having it now, actually, a, a commercial guy could do it, but a rec guy couldn't. Sounds like you fish for everything that swims in Rhode Island at one point or another. But yeah. surf fishing, I know, was was very near and dear to your heart uh, years ago. You did a lot of chunking. We've talked right. about this in the uh, in the ice shack well, right. last year on Moosehead. So, um, a lot of my surf fishing cost me a lot of jobs, jobs, <laughs> because I was one of those guys. You know, Robbie's nuts. I was Robbie before Robbie was Robbie. So, but nobody knew back then because I would stay out till two, three in the morning and I'd be like, uh, one more cast, one more cast, one more fish, one more fish. And I'd be like four to five. That'd be me showing up to work an hour or two late. I had a job where I did forms, hard work. So I would show up to work late every day. And this guy would look at me, never say a word, knew I was out, knew I was out fishing, never say a word to me. I show up and, uh, End of the day, everybody would go, and he'd look at me, go, "Come on, let's go." 
I'm like, where are we going? He goes, Go to, we're going to put a footing in for the... He actually, I think, loved the fact that I showed up late every day. Because he got you for another hour He got for a couple hours after work and start a job for the next day. So I knew that, so I wouldn't get in trouble. Yeah, so right. I knew, but I could never say, well, I, I'm not working late. So the days we had softball games and yeah. stuff, I'd show up early. But I, but I lost a, a lot of jobs because I was so obsessed with fishing. <laughs> and my brother-in-law told me, he's like, you're not going to make it in this world unless you do something with fishing. And he was right. I would, you know, I screwed up more jobs because of fishing just being so everybody's addicted to something. And that was me back in the day. And especially surf fishing. I just, I just loved it. Um, I, I threw lures and stuff too. I fished Block Island with Dennis and Broder and all those guys. But I used to love waiting on the chunk um, and just wait for that big fish. But that is, to me, I think like the most important, most exciting seconds in surf fishing are when you're fishing a chunk and between feeling that first hit. To, and to when you set the hook, yeah. you know. But just especially, know, at that point, it might be a 60-pounder when you just feel picked up. Oh, especially when you're fishing a pogey head yeah. or something where you think it's a big bait. and and uh, That's all considered field research for Jimmy when he comes in late. Yeah. <laughs> field research. Oh, is that a sore oh, subject a, tonight? <laughs> but I shouldn't have gotten into that one. I was creating content. Oh, creating yeah, content. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was just, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, but. So, uh. So surf fishing did cost you some jobs. At what point did you make the the switch into making fishing your living? Were you always commercial fishing along those lines um, or along that time? Yeah, I, I had a license. I, I would sell a couple from the surf. Uh, surf fish block island for a lot of years. We'd rent the house out there. Then one day I, I came over the summer. I bought a small boat, and it worked. It went exactly like this. I get in my boat. I have a clue what I'm doing. I go out to Warren's Point, Little Compton, get up as tight as I could to shore without scaring myself too much, and fish not catch anything take my boat put it on the trailer go home put my waders drive out to warrens catch fish next day go back in my boat do the same thing all over and again couldn't catch a fish go back home put my waders on go back out to warrens and catch fish and it was that that adage of the yeah. boat guy wants to cast to shore yeah. and the surf <laughs> guy wants to cast yeah. out to the boat yeah. um but i mean it was a fine line with the with the the waves coming in how close i would get i didn't want to scare myself i was new to boat boat fishing and uh but it took me a long time to figure out the boat fishing. Getting back to like social media, I'm a little jealous. So when these new captains come up, and I, I know a lot of these captains, these new ones learned from watching your shows and watching that where I had to do it the hard way. Yeah. We're not, so I'm actually, it pisses me off that these kids get to watch your videos and these parts <laughs> and learn. But now I'm in a band now. I'm playing the drums. You've been um, in a band for a while, haven't you? On and off, drummer? A couple years, yeah. but I but I didn't play for thirty years. But my band's like, hey, we want to learn this new song. So I'm like, all right, Google. How's this? See this little girl <laughs> from Japan whipping out Blondie, and I'm going. I almost wanted to throw my drums away after watching this girl play. But here I get so mad at the fish, new fisherman, and here I am right. learning the drum <laughs> stuff. Right. If you have this at your, yeah, if you don't use it, you're stupid. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's, so it's um, but the what a great time to learn how to fish right now with, I think, um, all these fish that are around, I think it's a great time to get into the sport. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, and the uh, saying that, as a surf fisherman, I, I've said once or twice, you know, boat fish don't count, but it is a completely different discipline. Yeah. I would be, if you if you handed me the boat, keys to the boat and said, go find me some big striped bass, Yeah. if I if I knew where they were in the surf, I, I, I still couldn't do it in a boat. It's a, it's a completely different mindset and, 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 and you're that's looking for where the, te the technologies from now to years ago is so good now i look at my fish find i go over a school of fish and i'll look at it and i'm like hmm all right take a couple pass they won't hit 
I know I'm so convinced and I know the size of those fish by my fish finder, just take those fish and I'll leave them alone. Instead of running those fish over for an hour till they turn on and spooking them because they will take off, just leave them alone and then come back to them. But having good electronics will let you know that I'm going to go back to those fish and they might move on the tide or whatever, but most of the time they're sitting back there. And the other thing I see a lot in Newport is like, I'll come around and I try to get a little bit later start now. These guys, you can't beat these guys to the spots on the weekend. So I let them go first. And I'll go behind them and pick up what they missed. Once, once they realize they can't catch the stripers, they usually go sea bass and they, they clear all, all the striper spots. So I'll go over to the striper spots and I'll look, I'll come around the corner of Brenton Reef and I'll look at a spot and I'm like, geez, there's no boats on it. Those, that big school of fish must have moved. I get over to the pot of fish and I'm looking at my fish finder and they are so tight to the bottom, it looks like bottom. So everybody just drives right by it. And they're not, they're not, they're not have, they don't have that much confidence in their electronics. So you have to see. Now, if you took that same screen on a 2D and you could see them stacked and they look like bottom, and you take it and you go over to DI, you can actually see separation on the, in those fish between the bottom. Yeah, that's so, the down imaging, which yeah. is the, is that the 3D sonar from Humberd? It's, they just call it down imaging. Yeah. So yeah, but it's, it's like 3D. It's, it's, I find it like, Jimmy, to your point, though, I, I find it like um, when I do get out surf casting and, and, and I've never been, you know, that, that's not my go to. I've always had a boat that way. But I do find when I go out surf casting, I find it much more peaceful. I find it much more because oh. generally you're by yourself. There's a lot less moving parts. And, and for the most part, when I go out surf fishing, you can kind of bring, you know, a, a limited supply of this is what I'm going to fish, depending on what you're targeting and what you're doing that way. You, you, it just seems to me uh, so many less moving parts. And when you reference going out on the boat, one of the things that I find going out on the boat is that it's just the responsibility is ratcheted up tenfold, right? From what what you could go bump in the night out there. I'm just laughing. Like you get down, somebody's <laughs> cut your electric cord. Somebody's cut I your electric cord. I get this close. To, I got this close to being taken out in the fog this year, on on spot lock, yeah. black fishing. That's this the guy stuff. Came yeah. out of the fog, fog, and he missed the front of my boat. By this much, he turned the wheel. Running no radar out there, just he had radar. And you know what? He had radar, and then I, I, I had to think about this afterwards. I was fishing near the Newport Bridge. That bridge blocked his radar, so. So he saw the bridge, but he didn't see you behind it. He, I don't think he saw me behind yeah. it because he. But oh, he, man. but and the other thing, and I, and I, and I didn't want to give the guy. I didn't want to call him out or do anything like that, but. The safe speed wasn't there. Yeah. yeah, he was flying, and that was the only thing I can I get that the bridge, and that was a mistake. I I realized after I said, well, I guess I don't want to hang near that thing in the fog like that. So I'm 15 years in the chart and still learning, but that's one thing I'll never do in the fog is I was purposely trying to hide over on the side there, thinking I was far away away from the channel enough, and uh, I mean that scared the. Daylight when you're out ship. surf fishing like that, and there's three of you, you're all kind of accountable to yourself. When you're on a boat as a captain, BJ, you, it's you. You're in charge. Yeah, well, I do somebody tell everybody. Hurt off there, I tell everybody all the time. I say, keep your eyes peeled. Yeah, it's just not me going down in this right. boat. It's all of us. So yeah. I mean, it's so everybody. I said, if you see something, point it out because I don't see it. I'll tell you with the, how good these fish finders are now. I'm locked on my apex all the time. Yeah, yeah. I'm constantly yeah. staring at the thing, and uh, you know, you got to pop up every now and then. Is you know, you don't want to. So, so speaking of electronics, when you're looking for a new spot, let's say, let's say for, we do it for blackfish and we do it for stripers too. What are you looking for when you're scouting an area? What lets you know that maybe this might be a good tog spot? Say, say we come across it in June when you're striper fishing. Is there, do, have you ever done that? Or you're sharp fishing, think this time. might be a good tog spot? I, I'll mock them and that's, that's 
that's how Robbie and I have the advantage in Rhode Island. We, we're out there all summer long. And eventually our paths are going to take us over something we haven't seen before. But we did this show a couple of years ago with the state trooper. Uh, Mike Webster, sure. Yeah, and I brought you guys over to that piece of bottom. Now, that piece of bottom, if you would ask me 10 years ago, 15 years ago, if I thought there was fish on that kind of bottom, although we didn't have a good day that day yeah. there, that spot I've You had fish. You'd brought us to a spot there that you said three years earlier you had not fished. And, and we had dialed that up. That and, and we went in there and uh, we caught fish on it. We had a, it was blowing like stink. Yeah. That but that bottom right there is just boulders, yeah. gravelly bottom and boulders spread out. So I. And you, not deep. Not deep. You know, and I've catch, and I'll get them in there. I'll move shallow, I'll move deep. But those big fish are just hanging in those boulders. Yeah. So it's something I was always looking for drop offs before piers, pylons. Um, no, I can't remember. Walls. Did we drift that day? Were we drifting because no. the boulder field? We anchored up. We, oh, we okay. spot locked. Yep. Spot locked. Yep. And then, uh, but that spot, we didn't have a great day that day. But now I, when I found that bottom there years ago and then realized there was fish on it, changed my way of thinking. Yeah. Now I go to all, that's why I just, like that spot, you, you can build a bite. The longer you're there, I think the better it is. Sometimes you go there, it takes a while to build a bite there. Um, a, lot, a lot with black fishing too is, especially off Newport, is time of year. I get a lot of guys that's like, I know they, they find one of my spots and then I see them for the next three days, they're just sitting in that spot. And there's the right time to fish these spots. And that's what people don't realize. They'll go to a spot where they fished maybe the year before that same day, and it might be a week difference in the weather pattern. Like it might be the weather might be a little bit warmer this year, and the fish just haven't they haven't got to that spot yet. So the guys will be like, "Oh, that fish that spot was horrible." It's like, no, you go there a week later, and that fish would. So a lot of these spots, knowing what time of year for what types of spots, but. I will try to find those boulderies and the muscle beds, which you can't really see. Yeah. If you can find boulders and then you can find muscle beds, um, it's deadly. I mean, absolutely. I take a lot of pride in finding new spots, and I love it. I get, I don't get that much excited about catching a fish anymore, but finding a new spot for some reason gets me Along super excited. Along the same lines, you know, it's funny. You see through social media, Cobia being caught here. You know, trigger fish seem to be a regular occurrence now. With the water moving, uh, warming up and everything kind of moving further north, do you find since you started 15 years ago today that you'll find new spots based on the fact that the weather conditions and the water temperatures have changed over the last 15 years that things may be? Or do you still find kind of a, if you have A, B, C, and D, they're going to be there? This is going to piss a lot of people off. But if this is global warming, I'm all for it. It's making fishing good. I mean, it's there's things that are, let's all get F-250s. And, no, I'm joking. But it, it is it is different, man. It's yeah. just, and, it, and you have to learn every year. You have to relearn every yeah. year. Yeah. But it, the things that I'm seeing, that it's just crazy. This year, so I've never seen a hammerhead in Rhode Island waters. Um, see three this year. Two in one day. And close to Newport, never. All the sharks I saw this year were like browner sharks. It always, I always saw like makos, blue sharks, and what else? This year, there's, there's sandbars, there's duskies. They're all brown sharks that we were catching. Um, and I have a couple spots really close to Newport that we do these light tackle shark trips. And this, I couldn't get the uh, hammerheads to hit, but duskies and it's cool. I mean, it's just, it's just everything's like you said, it's different. Um, 
I think a big part of it. I think they're doing a better jo- uh, job with the regulation of the of the bunker, though. Too the bait. I, yeah. I just think that the bait has been. I mean, th- I mean, when you have a whale two hundred yards offshore landing on a boat, cool. just off the co- yeah. coast of Plymouth, it's in there because the bait's in there. It's cool. It's not my boat, but yeah, it, yeah. It, was, it, it, <laughs> it was wild, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. The um, I couldn't with the tuna being so close to shore. This I couldn't believe the amount of big sharks that yeah. were in real tight with these. It's amazing. It's that's. I think it's cool, but it's um. You do have to relearn every year because you'll find stuff by accident. And um, then you got to go adapt with it. Now, you put, uh, was that the first giant tuna you've put on your boat this year? Yeah, that was our first fish we hooked. That was the first day fishing. <laughs> one for one, man. It, it, we, and I made my Jackson, my deckhand reel the whole thing in. Do the whole thing? <laughs> smart. He, That's he smart. Was, he was, he, uh, he said, Cap, can you reel? I said, nope. Whatever <laughs> we're doing is working here. Let's just, we have no clue what we're doing. We have no Robbie talked me into this. Robbie, <laughs> this is Robbie Taylor for those guys who don't yeah, realize. Robbie talked. We throw me a lot of names out. We don't put a name to Garrett's last yeah. name. It's always Garrett, Robbie, and all yes. like Robbie Taylor. So, and Garrett where? Uh, but Robbie, um, he, I think he wanted me to get in this so I could catch bait for him. So that's absolutely Robbie. So he gives me his old rods, and I took. We were kind of setting ourselves up for it. Um, but Jackson and I go out there, but we, Jackson crimped the old, we crimped, I'm three and a half hours, I'm waiting for the crimp to break, I'm waiting for this, my stomach's in knots, I'm up, you know, caught three lobster pots. Um, how big was this fish? It was 111 inches. And how'd you get it up oh. over the side? Because you don't have a winch on that. We had to drag it back to Newport and pull it up with the- 111 yeah. inches? Yeah. And that was the first one? First one, yeah. That's something else, man. That's- yeah, I, I didn't think we were going to catch, I told Jackson, I was like, well, I'll be, I'll be happy hooking up on a couple, even if we lose them. So then I started feeling bad for Jackson because um, about an hour and a half into the fight, he's swearing at the fish. He's going, he is just- 111 inches. Yeah, three and a half hours. So it was just the two of you guys on the boat? Yeah, it was just the two of us. And it probably, I didn't know how much pressure I could put on it. So I followed him around a lot. Probably didn't tire him. And I know a little bit more now than I knew then. Um, But the uh, poor Jackson, he uh, he would, he. Cap, how deep's the fish? I'd be 40 feet. I'm watching. We're only fishing 105. That fish never came off of 80 feet for us. <laughs> Jackson's still with us. Is Jackson still yeah, with us? Yeah, Jackson yeah. didn't die out there, no, right? No, Jackson loved it. He's uh, He actually just got a tattoo with the fin when it says 111 inches under it. Oh, it's so awesome. So I got to get the same one. So, awesome. uh, But that could be one and done. I mean, as far as yeah. that's not my cup of tea. Yeah. Jackson wanted to do it. Robbie wanted us to do it. And I thought the fact that we got lucky and we actually Those fish have moved in closer and closer and closer. It's crazy. I fished with you now four or five times on shoots. And I like getting into this. I'm like, I've never been on your boat that you didn't have Dunkin' Donuts on there. You didn't have donuts on the boat. It was almost like, like if we weren't fishing unless there were donuts on board. Although you've lost a shit ton of weight. So I, I can tell how many guys have watched your shows because they walk down the dock with a dozen donuts. <laughs> and, and I feel bad now that I don't get to eat them. You know, and they, But they all come with the lucky donuts. So they all, because of the show. Right? I mean, yeah. One of the best was the clip where you guys tried to toss a box of donuts from one boat to another. That was a good idea. And it hit the water. It missed. The it was wind a, caught it, I think. I forget I, who was throwing to who. I think BJ was throwing to me. I, all guilty parties yeah, involved. Was, I threw that one a little bit like uh, Jones there. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it hits the water and the lid popped up like <laughs> a sail. And it was that windy day you guys were talking about. Two donuts and inside it just sailed there. off just into the distance. Just a single donut in there in the box. And it just... 
I, I think I caught horizon. one donut in the net. And, yeah. and like there was just one donut in the net and, that, and then there's a few of them just that landed face up and it was like like there was a, like a maple frosted just floating donut away. Debacle that was. Oh. Yeah. But one other one other like um So you play in a band? How how what's the name of the band? So I didn't re- I didn't think this out. So this was a, con- a a coronavirus kind of fun thing that turned into I really really never I thought we'd play one gig and that would be it nobody would ask us back. Yeah. Um so in a, in a band called Moments Notice, and we're gigging all the time now, and it's you having fun at it though. Yeah, until you got to get up at <laughs> five the next day to do a black fishing. Yeah. So, but I didn't realize like this year really we gigged so much. We had a lot of big gigs. How many in the band? Uh, six of us. And and the name of it again? Uh, it's Moments Notice. And uh, what are you guys playing mostly? Uh, what kind of music? Yeah. Uh, like Rome classic Stone. rock. So classic. We, a lot of classic. A lot of classic. Rock, we play some. New, we have a very good female singer. Um, she's an uh, opera singer at Rhode Island College, and she's 20 years old. She's playing with a bunch of old guys. We have, we're a bunch of old guys with two 20-year-olds in the band, <laughs> and it's... Uh, All right, I'm putting it out right now. Yeah. How have we not had you play at Striper Fest? Because we, we're just new. We just started. Um, we're just now... Opening to, act? Opening act next year? Yeah, or, I mean, we're good. We're, we really come a long way. I mean, I've had people come up, like, they said, you are not the same band you were a couple years ago, so we've really been practicing a lot. I'm trying to lose weight so I can get some youth. And, you look and good, some, brother. You do. Thank you. you look trying, good, man. You really do. Trying to let myself go with the coronavirus and Yellowstone and Netflix. Um, but the uh, <laughs> who wins a foot race between you and, and Robbie Taylor yet? You're not there yet. Robbie still has you. Oh yeah, I wouldn't even. Here's the thing: is I wouldn't even. I uh, I pulled my Achilles leaning into my truck trying to get something off the passenger seat instead of walking around and open the passenger door. So I know my limitations right now. This is ice fishing. Yeah. This is ice fishing. There's always some shenanigans out there. My thing is like I think I could do well, but it's not worth what I'm going to hurt to 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 prove a point. So, but you've brought up Robbie a lot throughout this podcast. I mean. Working together as, as charter captains with another guy that you can you can share information with and uh, and work together with. That's how important's that been. To, He's the uh, only guy. Us. Yeah, I work with, and it's the part of the reason that we think a lot alike. We we totally fish the same. We if he, he's learned things from me, I learned things from him. Um, it's just we we especially when we do two boat charters, you can't be on a boat. You know, half the boat does one thing and. You send them with another guy that does something totally different. It's kind of nice that Robbie and I can do the, yeah. the same things, and we fish a lot. We can we can heal, we can tube, we can we can do whatever we need to do and do it. You know, so it's and fishing with him's he's he's cool. He's laid back. He's a lot of fun. If I have to give somebody a chart, I give it to him, just because of the you know that he's going to do a quality well, job and, and he's going to be respectful. Listen, we yeah, nobody wants actually. to catch more than Robbie and I, yeah. but there are days where. We're going to have fun every day, no matter what the fishing is, what whatever the conditions are. We like to have fun. So I can't predict what the fishing is going to be that day, but it's – I can tell you this. We're going to laugh. You, know? but. you just went through some of your striper techniques earlier, and one that you said at the very beginning of this podcast was the flutter spoon. Yep. And that's – is this your first year bringing those up here, or have you been using those for a couple of years? been fishing it probably the longest out of anybody in the Northeast. So the flutter spoon is – it's a big uh, – it originated for uh, largemouth bass, but it's it's probably a nine inch to to eleven inch spoon, really wide bodied, and it when it falls through the water, it just looks like a dying bait fish. So what happened years ago, Bill Carson? When I first got on the pro staff with Humminbird, Bill Carson came up and fished with me. Now Captain Max Lures down in Georgia, he sells these things, and 
Bill and him are really good friends, and Bill brought a bunch up. And he's like, these are for freshwater bass. And I'm, I was going to say, he's fishing those for, for freshwater striped yeah. bass. And I'm looking at these things, and I'm laughing. I'm like, Bill, what are you doing with these things? And I call him Bucktail Bill. He always makes We always make fun of each other. And Bill's Bill's like, you should try it's these. It's not easy to do if you know Bill Carson. Yeah, yeah. Right? So Bill's like, you got to fish this thing. So Bill takes off, and it was that year. I had this lady on the boat, and the fish were blitzing. It was in the fall, and she just wasn't very good at casting. And... I said, BJ, think, what can I do? What can I do? I saw the spoon. So I, I take the spoon, I put it on, and she drops it just down. I just drop it down and just reel up. And every time I turned around, she had a fish on. I'm like, ooh, there's something to these things. So I thought maybe it would be good just for people that can, couldn't really fish. Then we started fishing these things in the bay and under these schools. Now, these things have to be on feeding fish for the most part. Very hard to pull a fish yeah. that are just laying on humps and just vertical jig them. They don't seem like they want it. Actively feeding, chasing bait, they'll smoke them. So I put the video out this year. I've been trying to keep them secret for a lot of years. And I kind of put the video out this year. And uh, people went nuts. Lying. Nobody could get these flutter spoons. Um, but I've been really, I've been fishing them for a long time and never realized that it was going to take off like this. Like, it's just crazy. Now, all the guys in New York, New Jersey are doing it. Around bunker schools, if you see that thing spin, uh, you see that shine, it looks just like a bunker flutter up. It's incredible. It's, the action on it is so lifelike. And you can't see, like, do you miss a lot of fish on it? Do you? No, oh, yeah. Because it, it's got a single treble hook at the tail. I put it, yeah. It, it, it'll, we, we, you'll miss a lot of hooks just naturally. Um, yeah. Just the way they hit it. I think they hit a lot of hit on the outside and... Um, but I'm, I'm like, yeah, a lot of fun. So yeah. I caught my first fish on one this year. We were sea bass fishing and, uh, sea bassing was slow, but I brought one on board in case we found bass and we, we hadn't seen any, but I just dropped it down blind. I was like, let me see what this feels like. Yeah. And man, they, they pile on it. Like they, the they sea bass get them too? No, no, no. Oh, the striper, the striper, was okay. like a 30 pound striper yeah. came out of nowhere yeah, and yeah. ate this thing. Cause just when I was trying to see how it, uh, how it fished. Yeah. They hit it so hard. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot of fun, and it's another weapon to have when you can't find bunker that day or you can't um, – for all the guys that don't have side scan that can't find the bunker, you know. So um, it definitely another arsenal. You can actually cast it. You can swim it back. You can uh, – I troll it on lead core sometimes in the bay. Um, so you kept that I, uh, you kept that under wraps. I thought that was yeah. a new – like no. brand new. In a the, lot of years. And the only one that can validate my story is Bill. Bill, Bill knows when. Matter of fact, he doesn't know. He doesn't know what he had for breakfast Tyson, this morning. Tyson called me. He's like, these guys think they've been fishing this a long time because you've been that thing's been in your boat forever. And it's uh, oh wow. Yeah, it's you can't give away everything, you know. Until no, no. until it's you just did. Yeah, I know. Nice job, Jimmy. Yeah, but it's <laughs> what I, I do. You know, my tackle shops, Sam's, Edward, uh, Sam's, uh, Crafty One, and uh, Saltwater Edge. They couldn't. They couldn't get enough yeah, of them last yeah. year. It was, they would, it's crazy so, how what these the, things go in cycles, though. They kind of these rages that are just like all of a sudden it's like you see on social media that people are talking, you get people like you and people like BJ, they're like, hey, I tried it, it really worked well. All of a sudden it's a spike, and then like two years later, they're on to the next thing. <laughs> Isn't know, it crazy? It's funny, is the, the New York, New Jersey thing, really, because that's why Vespi, Greg, big shot of Risa now, he's such a good <laughs> fisherman, is he's always trying stuff, but he'll go out and fish epoxy jigs for tog he won't even bring yeah. he won't even bring bait out but that could be another podcast with yeah, him someday right. yeah, but it, up, yeah. you go you can go tog fishing without bait and and slam them yeah. so 
being you just have to be willing to try something different to, at the expense of possibly catching. That's yeah. that's the deal. Which that's runs completely it. contrary to to like New Englanders. It's like if you cross us once thirty years ago, we remember it. Yeah, and, and so we're creatures of habit in New England, and it's just the way it is. And and uh, I think sometimes, although I will say that social media again, when you see success and you see somebody, you you're uh, more tempted to change things sometimes that way. But and yeah. I think if you go fish other places, you learn things. You know the live yeah. chumming. You know, yeah, yeah. Robbie, bringing that up from did, Florida. And, yeah, that was well, fun. Robbie and I were in Puerto Rico, and then when that we started with the, we were fishing the charter boat down there. The guy would black out the live well, and he just started throwing. That's how we got the tuna and everything right to the boat out in 900 feet of water. He's yeah. throwing live bait, and it brings the tuna right to you. It's all in Nova Scotia and PEI right? yeah. with the bluefin tuna down there. I mean, it's just like next thing you know, they're on the herring, and they're just taking the herring and just tossing them, and then next thing you know, they're creating their own you know feeding frenzy, if you will. Yeah, same thing. Yep. I know I've been on your boat. You have certain superstitions, you know. Yeah, we we touched on the donut thing that, like, for the longest time. What are some of the superstitions that you have on your boat, or you've seen come on your boat? We did a whole show on superstitions. We did, oh yeah. And and but what BJ, if you have superstitions, what are they? Um, I really don't know. Like, if you it's fish in the area and you get up at a certain period of time and you go out there, now a lot of that's probably not a superstition. It's just based on how the tide and everything has been. Yeah. But I don't. I'm I'd say, I thought you would have had more than those based on the uh, fact that we had to have donuts on the boat. No, I'm one of those guys that. So the whole donut thing came from commercial fishing Block Island years ago for striper fishing. We hit this shop in the morning, and every time we did that, we had great fishing. That's so that's how the donut thing started. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I, no, I'm one of those guys where you really do your homework and you're not no, going to rely on anything. No, just go fish. Yeah. I mean, just I don't worry about the small things like bait and this and that. I've seen massive tog come off a little bait. I've seen them go off big baits. I've seen them go off white greens. I've seen it all. So I, I, I know you you just you're not going to catch them if you if your bait's not in the water. So that's the main thing is just fishing and 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 making sure your terminal tackle is especially for tog. Make sure it's up to par. Make sure. Don't be lazy changing your leaders out because it's gonna it's gonna cost you. As soon as you say I can get one more fish with that little nick, and that's when it hits. And it's so it's I'm very I'm a very simple fisherman as much as I, I do my homework. I, I I constantly think of new ways to catch fish and new ways to do things. But getting to play with the new toys first too um, is 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 a plus. You know. Everybody says, oh, the spot locks changed Tog. I said, yeah, it did, but it was it's still Newport. You don't you don't have to be the you don't need a spot lock. Me, I do, because I'm out every day and I'm but you can I think still, it also just increases your bottom time, right? I absolutely. Mean, it just increases your bottom time. When you have to set an anchor and then the next thing you know, you gotta pull an anchor and move six feet. Oh, oh, it's a talk. That's it. Six feet. That's right. And it can change everything yeah. that way. So I think, in, you know, a spot lock jog in this circumstance, it's, one click, you've moved. And it's there. no effort to go fish yeah. another spot. Yeah. You could just fly over to it. This, this looks nice. Let me go check it out. Give it a half an hour. Nothing. You, you, you take off it's with no effort. So that's. That's and the you, bottom. You were, how, how long? Have, you were an early adapter of the uh, of the spot lock. How long have you been using that? We, so Tyson from Hummingbird put, we tried to put it on. Well, here's the, the story. I had one on my little boat. I had a little 18 footer. I brought Charlie Swords to a, a buoy to where we did the show. Yeah. And I brought Charlie and I was like, Charlie, you're not going to believe this. And he's like, nah. So we go over and we stop fishing. This the is Charlie Swords we're yeah. talking about. Yep. We go fish the shipwreck. And about 10 minutes in, he goes, hey, BJ, we're not moving. 
I'm taking a land fix from this to the island. We're not moving. I'm like, Charlie, we're not going to move. Boom, we start catching some nice fish. Half an hour later, Charlie's like, Charlie still can't, he's not, he's not buying any of this. I'm like, Charlie, he tries like, BJ, we're not moving. I'm like, I know, Charlie, we're, we're sitting on this thing. And we ended up catching a couple nice fish. And finally, at the end of the day, Charlie's like, BJ, we didn't move. I'm like, I know, Charlie, we, that's fine. And Charlie's like, I don't care what that thing costs. I'm, I'm buying one of those things. That's so true. But so what happened is I could go to the spot and I could catch fish with my, the little boat with the spot lock. And I had a day the next day where the weather was horrible, couldn't get out front, and I needed to fish that spot. And I'm in my bigger boat, and I'm like, geez, I know the fish are right there, but I can't fish it. I had, so I'm, I had to go do something else. And Tyson sounds like, you want to try putting one on a boat your size? And we tried it. We kept it under wraps for a couple of years, and then just to make sure it worked. And, um, and they got some cool stuff coming out. So. I see them exploding. I see them now. I see bay boats, more and more bay boats, and I see more and more of this. this There's not a boat in Newport that doesn't have one right now. It's, it's crazy. It's absolutely nuts. And you know what? And it's a lot safer. Um, you know, um, a lot I've had, of boat traffic down there. I mean, being oh yeah, able to, it's it's a lot safer. You know, putting them in the kayaks now. It's a lot safer for the kayak guys. Anchoring in the kayaks dangerous. A lot. Of, I watch a lot of the kayak guys drift and they try to tug. And you'll get them, but it's, you know, they would be better off. The, yeah, it's hard. So, but. Hey, my last question, and I'm sure Jimmy has a couple more. My last question is this, right? A lot of young anglers out there, a lot of young guys that came into the sport during the pandemic, we probably added six, seven million anglers. And, you know, everyone and their mother went outside, BJ, yep. right? Whether it was mountain biking, camping, hiking, whatever it was. Everyone turned to the outside. Fishing saw that wave as well. For a lot of these new anglers, you know, if if you were talking to yourself 20 years ago, 25 years ago, what would you tell yourself? What would you tell these new anglers about being in this sport? And, and, and you know, what is some of the advice you could give them so that they can meet with success and stay in this sport? And what would you tell yourself if you were talking to yourself 20 years ago, 25 years ago? What I've learned, like the biggest part of fishing to me is weather. I am on a weather app all night trying to figure out the weather for the next day. And to do it without... You know, it's tricky. You know, it's it's tricky and you gotta sometimes you gotta pull two or three forecasts and then try to get it. But don't go die for a fish. All right. Live to fish another day. And I see these guys that go out and I'm like, and you can just tell the new boaters, but they don't understand. All right, this is the forecast. It's gonna blow ten to twenty today out of the southwest. But we got a moon tide that's sweeping out, that's going out, and that's Evan. And you can't teach that. I mean, that's stuff you have to learn on your own. And um, and you just know that that bay is going to be built right up. And, you know, I, I have times where I was like, I'm not leaving. Now. I'll fish an extra two hours just to wait for that to go down. Hmm. Um, but definitely, especially guys fishing block or, I mean, weather, if it kicks up on you while you're out there, then that's one thing. But going out and looking for it. It's not that's a good great. thing. It's, that's great advice. And, yeah. I, you know, along the same line, my first boat, 20-foot shamrock, full keel, straight inboard. And, uh and I used to go out there and fish with Neil. And this is going back 30 years ago. And and uh, I don't know, as a young guy, you kind of throw caution to the wind. Electronics, none to speak of. You yeah. know, I had no radar on the thing. Yeah. And it was, I had no radar, I had no fish fighter. It was yeah. literally down the island, oh, yeah. bumping along rocks and yeah. stuff with a handheld radio that may or may not work and a, yeah. and a compass that was off 30 yeah. degrees. And you look back on those days and I learned because I didn't have a lot of those electronics, but I think the advice you just gave as far as looking at the weather, because yeah. I found myself in fog out there so thick, you couldn't see the end of a 20-foot boat. What, hap just dangerous. what happened to me this year is going to really, 
going forward, how I fish in fog is going to, is going to change because there's a lot of days, you know, it, it's tough when, when you're in a situation, like guys book you a year in advance, they're so looking forward to that trip and you got to tell them because of weather, we can't go. They, they get upset and they, sometimes they, they question you and I'm like, and then sometimes you don't go, you cancel the trip and it wasn't that bad. And then some other captain went that day and then you get a, well, they went and they did all right. And I'm like, that's the chance. You I mean, it's sometimes yeah. it, sometimes the weather's better than you, you once predicted, you know? Well, to the so. point you just made, at least you're living to fish another day, right? There's yeah. always tomorrow if you're smart. So that's the, so the new thing about fishing. There's a lot of, a lot of podcasts, there's fishing shows, there's YouTube, everything to teach you how to fish. But the one thing guys have to get up on when the, with the new boating and stuff, because uh, there are a ton of new yeah. boats out there, is is learning the weather part of it. Some you know, and the that, that kind it, of intuition comes from experience yeah. and time on the water. Oh, there's things I've been lucky. I mean, I've I've taken rides from Block Island. I probably shouldn't be sitting here talking to you guys right now, you know. And and I've learned from it, but I won't do it again. Yeah. But. And you would think that with today's resources, you're, you're probably more prepared than ever before oh, yeah. to kind of do that homework before you get out the dock. Guys, great advice from BJ Sylvia, flipping out charters. Before you ever put, set foot on that boat and push off from the dock, do your homework. And here's the other thing is, because we never did this, BJ, and I'm sure you never did it, leave a float plan. Yeah. You know, where are you going? What are you doing? Right. It just makes that life so much easier as far as tracking that person down if they're in the, on the boat. Where are you heading? What are you going to be fishing? What time do you expect to be back? All of those kind of things. Just But I've just seen so many new anglers over the next last two years coming into this sport. And if they're not meeting with success, right. they're leaving and moving on to something else. And if they stay with us, we have that many more advocates when it comes to just the fishery and access and everything that goes along with yeah. it. But Jimmy, I don't know if you had any more questions. I got, I got two, uh, two more First one is, where can people find you if they want to book you for a trip in uh, 2025 for Todd? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm on Facebook and i got a website. And they, they FlippinOutCharters.com? Yeah, FlippinOutCharters, yep. And uh, at FlippinOutCharters on Instagram and yeah. Facebook as yep. well. Yep, yep. And my last question is, uh, what song are you going to open up Striper Fest 2023 I know with? That. So. I want to know that. What's the song that opens it up? <laughs> what do you want us to open with? Hmm. It's usually, it's usually like um, the, the, the I can't vibe think of something funny fast I know, enough. I know. I'm yeah. too slow. One one thing I one thing I'd like to say is that I, I spent a lot of time in my younger years having to catch, had to catch, had to catch, had to catch, and made it almost not fun, fun because I I was so obsessed with it. Now I realize, looking back, that now I'm not the younger guy. That I older guys that I fish with can't fish anymore. They 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 can't fish. They're older, and now I realize it wasn't about that. Yeah. I realized that a little probably too late. Um, it's more about the memories. For some reason, your wife will ask you something about, did you take the trash out last week or like the other day? And you're like, oh, I forgot. But you can remember every fishing yeah. thing you did with your buddies and on every special trip and this and that. So uh, to the guys, like, like I, I was just way too into it, way too. I had to catch, had to catch, had to catch. Now I have to catch for a different reason. I have to put you on fish, but um, but it's when I fish for myself, I don't care. It's I found found myself on the lake just looking at the sunsets and you know just enjoying it more than being obsessed with. And I think that speaks volumes to who you are, BJ. But I will say, the older I got, the more experience I was a fisherman. 
the more you relish those experiences, right. like you said, and I, you hit the nail on the head, yeah. you know? I, and I think that comes with age though, I really yeah, do. Yeah, I do. I, and I success. Feel, I see a lot of my customers yeah. that come from New York, they're just happy stepping on that boat yeah. in the morning. You know what I mean? And, and, and one thing about black fishing, for, if, you, if this guy crushed it the, the, that day, the next day you guarantee it's gonna be somebody else. It's just the bite will change just a little bit. Um, and it's funny how it's never, I've got guys that fish four or five days with me in a row. And it was never the same guy. It's always a different person on that, that that has a really good trip. So it just goes to show how challenging black fishing is. And, uh, you know, so. Yeah, the world fun. needs more captains like BJ Sylvia. I fished with him. He's a very humble guy. Great captain. And, uh, and just the camaraderie out on your boat has always been so much fun.